You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to another week of the Weed Smart Podcast. This week we're catching up with a couple of farmers and they're going to be sharing their experience with how they're managing their chaff cart heaps and we're also going to hear a little bit from Rod Messina on how he's looking at stripper front and disc systems for WA. So we're going to be catching up with those farmers shortly but I am joined by my co-host Pete Newman. How are you going Pete? Yeah very well Jess and how are you? I'm really good. It's an exciting time of year. We're kind of heading into Easter and seeding is just around the corner for many farmers so lots of things are going on aren't they? Yeah it is that time of year when we're sort of wondering whether we'll be dry seeding or wet sowing and starting to eagerly look at the weather. Terrible sort of thing to try and predict isn't it? We you just don't know what's going to happen so um but yeah it is certainly we've had a long time of not paying probably huge attention to the rain Jess but now it's into that window yeah and everyone's I guess doing some some social things still while they have the time before seeding kicks off and I hear you had a fun trip over the weekend at Rotnest Pete I did yeah Rotnest Island just off Perth it was the annual boys golf weekend which I play every few years we play for the Rusty Cup trophy which is a dodgy <laughs> trophy it's been going for about 20 years and uh, golf in inverted commas Jess is some of the worst golf you'd ever wish to, to witness awesome. <laughs> including myself yeah lots of fun lots of laughs and I think if we were any good at golf it would sort of ruin it I think the fact that everyone is appalling at golf uh, makes for lots of laughter at other people's expenses yeah no that sounds fun you wouldn't want to be taking it too serious I don't no. think no well yeah there's a certain level of under <laughs> undercurrent of seriousness but no uh, definitely not at all and how about yourself Jess what have you been up to well, it's nice that the weather is sort of cooling down a bit. Other than I heard on the weather forecast this morning that Perth is going to be pretty warm again this week. But yeah, we headed down to the beach with the dogs yesterday and there was a pretty big swell at Peshawar Dog Beach, which is my closest beach for the doggies. And yeah, Oliver, the puppy, was still getting his bearings with the waves and was a bit shocked when some of those big waves came into shore. It kind of took him by surprise. Yeah, they don't do waves very well, most dogs. I was actually surfing once a couple of hundred metres offshore and the bloke's Labrador swam out. <laughs> he was very angry. He had to swim the, had to paddle, paddle the thing back into, oh, into the no. beach. Yeah, I've been, I've been scratched by a Labrador in the surf before. He just yeah. sort of, did, I thought he'd go around me, but he just tried to go through me and I ended up with some very big scratch marks on my stomach. So. Yeah, pretty powerful. But let's get into the podcast. We've got two great interviews for you today. We're going to hear from Andrew Ridgway first. He's a farmer from South Australia and he's going to be sharing his experience with dealing with his chaff cart heaps and he's actually been bailing them. And Pete, you found Andrew's tweet recently and we followed up with Andrew to see if he could chat about it. So what do you reckon about what he's doing? Yeah, I just think it, it's great that he's making use of a resource that was going to go up in smoke and as he says it's in a year when people need it so he just it was quite easy that he could just have a try and uh, see if it would work and it did so yeah I was just thrilled that he was using a, a resource that was otherwise going to be wasted. Yeah excellent so should we take a listen? Yeah that's a great idea. We're chatting with Andrew Ridgway. He's a broadacre and horticultural farmer based in Pine Hill in South Australia, which I believe is near Bordertown, if that means something to you. I'm not too familiar with South Australia, but really good to be able to speak to someone from the region. How are you going, Andrew? 
I'm well, thanks, Jess. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much for talking to us today. So we're going to find out a little bit about how you are bailing your chaff cart heaps, your chaff dumps. So that's going to be really interesting to be able to chat to you about that. First of all, before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about your farming system? Sure. So, uh, yeah, we're a family farm based, like you said, near Bordertown, South Australia, and we are quite a mixed farming business. So we do around about a thousand hectares of cropping, and then we run some sheep. And like you alluded to, we've got a horticulture business as well, growing gladioli bulbs for the home gardener market in Australia. So quite a mixed business. But yeah, primarily broadacre farming or cropping is uh, certainly the dominant part of our business. Yeah, cool. Sounds like you'd be very busy from all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so every day is uh, something different and a challenge, but it's, it's good. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so let's talk about uh, your use of the chaff cart. How do you find using one? Yeah, look, it's, it's not, too, not too bad at all, really. People often ask, oh, how do you go with that thing on the back of your header? I guess here in this region it's a, nowhere near as common as, say, the wheat boat of WA or some other regions. But, yeah, so people will sort of look and think, it's, oh, it's a bit funny or a bit different, and, no, oh, I must slow you down, or do you have to stop when you empty it and get funny questions like that? But <laughs> in reality, so, yes, you harvest a bit slower, as you know, probably make your header work a bit more or, or have to slow down. But, no, it's it's not too bad at all, really. It took a little bit of getting used to as far as turning headlands at the end of the paddock or um, and trying to get your dumps in a nice, neat row across the paddock. But, but all in all, it hasn't taken too long to, to suss it out, and... And no, we're quite happy with it. That's awesome. So what led you to get one in the first place? Uh, oh, probably was on the drawing board or, or harvest weed seed control was a topic of conversation for a while. And oh, we got one back in 2014 was when we had a, a little one. We actually got a pretty old shabby one from a neighbour who, who wasn't using one and built the elevators to, to suit it and, and trialled it and couple of poor years, 2014 and 15 were pretty dry years, so we sort of figured we had a, well certainly in 14, had a bit of time to uh, to get the bugs out of the system and try and figure it all out, well there wasn't as much grain out there to get, so um, tried it in 14 and 15 with this smaller one and then 2016 bought a bigger cart and adapted our same elevator system to it and um, and yeah, as far as harvest weed seed control goes, uh, for us it's it's good because, like, we are mixed farmers with sheep, and the sheep certainly do very well off the chaff. So it sort of fits our enterprise not too bad. Yeah, excellent to hear. Now, we actually saw some Twitter posts that you put up which alluded to the fact that you're bailing some of your uh, chaff dumps. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what led you to going down the route of bailing your chaff cart heaps? Yeah, sure. So, oh, well, I guess quick backstory, we run about a 1,000 merino ewes, and so we never really graze our chaff heaps to their full potential. There's, there's always still plenty of feed left in the paddocks when we have to take the sheep out in April before cropping again and burning what's left of most of the heaps. Not that we burn all of them, but burn, say, half at least. So I guess that's slightly attention we should be doing something with it and then never really did anything about it for a few years. Then this year, as you know, the, you know, the country's got many dry regions and, and such a feed shortage that we just thought we'd better have a crack and see if... Uh, See if they can actually be put in a bale. So I made a few phone calls and had spoken to a couple of people that had done it before. And, yeah, so we just got the local contractor eventually and he came and, and um, yeah, punched, oh, I don't know, 600 or so bales up off a, a couple hundred hectares. So so we've got some stuff to now hopefully help some people feedlotting some sheep and, 
and of course make a little bit of money out of it. We're uh, not necessarily doing it to make the money out of it, just it saves burning and such a good resource and yeah, it can help out some people not too far down the road to get a bit of something to help settle their sheep's tummies, I suppose. Yeah, that's a good news story. And so did the contractor who bailed them up for you, did he come across any difficulties and how did they overcome those difficulties if there were some? Uh, look, they were quite surprised. We, we had a uh, one local fella come and just do 10 or 20 just to trial and see if we could actually do it and then uh, took us a while to, to sort of find some markets and, yeah, decide to have a go. So ended up getting another contractor that was available at the time and I really, he was really surprised. I guess we'd had a couple of mils of rain a couple of days prior, which probably toughened up the heaps a little bit. They were still in their formed heaps. We hadn't levelled them out at all. And probably a couple of dewy mornings while he was baling them, which, which helped. You know, I'm not a hay baler contractor by any means. so But, yeah, it's tough, I suppose. It, it does compress and you get a bit better weight in the bale. And I'm sure you can bale when it's dry as chips, but pressures get a bit high and you don't get... Uh, don't get as much weight in the bale, I suppose, which which is what you want with this light stuff for transporting costs or freight costs. So uh, all in all, no, he, the contractor was very surprised. He when it got dry at sort of ten or eleven in the morning, he he pulled out and, and went home again. But no, it was it, it all worked really well. And so it's a six string high density baler, and we've got oh, we've got six prongs on our hay fork and, and a few decent spray track ruts across the paddock that. You're stacking them up and occasionally hit one of them, and they haven't really, haven't really broken apart much at all. Like, uh, not that you try and hit the ruts very hard, but just as an example, it, I expected them to be really soft and, and doughy on the forks, but they've they've sort of held together fairly well. So, all in all, it's worked out very well. Awesome. Yeah. So, you reckon that something other farmers should maybe consider doing, given the right circumstances? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I I guess contracting rates vary wherever you are, but it's probably 20 to $30 a bale, depending on your weights, what you might get in the bale to pay for it. We've probably got between four and 500 kilos in a bale. So, you know, if you were said, plus your time and, you know, raking it and stacking it, if you're doing it to make a bit of money out of it, it's probably no different to straw. You probably don't make a lot of money out of straw unless you've got your own machinery or you're doing large volumes, is my opinion. But So where am I going with that, Jess? I guess I'm saying that if it's costing you 60 to $80 a tonne to put it in a bale and it stacked, ready to load on a truck, and then you're only getting 80 to to $100 a tonne, you're not doing it to make the money out of it. You're either doing it if you want to have a feed back up for yourself or you're feedlotting animals yourself in containment feeding or you've got a market that's not too far down the road so they're not getting killed by the freight component or you don't have to discount your product to substitute the freight, I suppose. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like I said before, it's my parents said to me, look, it's just such an awful shame to burn the food resources there and we don't use it all, so it seems a win-win. Next year, I might we might just do a couple hundred bales just for ourselves, just to have as a bit of extra feed buffer that doesn't need to be as high a value as hay, I suppose, in those winter months, just to substitute with hay or grain for our own sheep or just as another little drought reserve. But, yeah, no, so I... Certainly, if, if you've got a use for it that's either yourselves or close by, it's a real win. I guess you've got to be careful about weed seeds. If you, if you had wild radish or um, you know, something that was a, a bad weed that another farmer didn't have, that's where you'd certainly want to containment feed out the stuff. But yes, look, it's worked for us, and, and who knows how much we might do in the following years, but this year it's been a real win, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for sharing your story with us. Like I said, we saw your photos pop up on Twitter. And yeah, it's a, it's a different tact for dealing with chaff heaps. So we really appreciate you giving us the background information on that tweet. Thanks so much. No worries at all, Jess. 
Thank you very much to South Australian farmer Andrew Ridgway for sharing his experience there with how he's bailing up some of his chaff cart heaps this year. It's a really interesting concept but obviously you need to get it right and use the right baler and have a few systems in place so you're doing it correctly, don't you Pete? Yeah, well, that's right. Well I think the, the chaff cart with the elevator on is what made it all possible Jess because a bit more straw in those dumps compared to the old uh, air slinger style and Lance Turner did a bit of this a long time ago in a similar situation. I think it was drought and WA and people needed the uh, needed the feed, exactly the same as what Andrew's faced with there. And, and I remember Lance saying, I think he said five-string baler and, and I think Andrew said six. So yeah. I think uh, it is quite critical to make sure you've uh, got a bit of straw and you've got a baler that can make decent bales. And, yeah, really, really great that there are uh, contractors out there that can make these sorts of things possible. Yeah, definitely. And it's just good to hear that story as well, because if you find yourself in a similar situation where you could potentially do this, you know it's possible and it's something that you could take on board. So we really appreciate Andrew sharing his story in a little bit more detail. And you can follow him on Twitter as well and see all his pictures and that too. We'll put a link to Andrew's Twitter on the podcast page for you to follow up on if you like. And Pete, up next, we're going to be continuing the trend of talking about chaff cart heaps and also learning a little bit more about how the strip and disc system could work in WA potentially by chatting with Malawa farmer Rod Messina. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you think about strip and disc systems in WA? What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I'm really keen to hear that Rod's been and had a look. I must go and have a one-on-one chat with him because uh, we've seen these exciting results from the east, uh, just a couple of WA growers getting into it, and obviously all the questions about will it work on our soil type, uh, how which sort of disc cedar suits our WA, or, you know, there's lots and lots of questions, and really just uh, great to hear that Rod's had a look and gone into it with a really open mind, and yeah, I think uh, there's nothing like a, a trip like that when you go and see something really interesting from some very successful growers and then uh, yeah hopefully bring some of those ideas home. Yeah that's it and as Rod you'll hear from him in the interview says he may not take on every single aspect of those strip and disc systems that are in the east but there might be something that gets adapted over here in the west that ends up working really well so it's exciting to have those innovative farmers take a chance and go out and do something maybe a little bit different that could potentially benefit a whole wide range of farmers in the west for example. Yeah that's right and yeah, I mean, there's a long learning curve here and I've actually sent GRDC an email about how I think we need to uh, do some research and some development in this area, probably more development and extension than research, to be honest. And, yeah, I just think it is a system that, that we really need to investigate deeply. All right, without further ado, let's take a listen and hear from Rod Messina. I'm chatting with Mullawa farmer Rob Messina and we're going to find out about a trip he recently went on over east learning about stripper fronts and we're also going to pick his brain about how he manages his chaff dumps. But firstly, how are you going, Rod? Yeah, good, thanks, Jess. Yep. Thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. Now, for those of people who don't know you, can you just give us a brief overview on your farming system? Yeah, so we're, we're basically full croppers. I suppose we, we farm continuously every year, every paddock. And we grow wheat, barley, canola and lupin. Yeah, awesome. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this trip that you recently went on over east, starting in Wagga Wagga, learning about stripper fronts. Can you just give us an overview of what the trip was centred around, first of all, and then we'll get into the detail about what you learnt? Yeah, sure. I suppose the trip is sort of a, just to go and see a different farming system uh, and how people are 
handling or you know the challenging dry environment and so so I guess it was to visit three farms to just rack the farmers' brains and just sort of see what systems they're using, combining stripper fronts, disc seeders and even sort of running I suppose a little bit more of a biological system as opposed to a you know a full system like we do over in WA using all that chemicals and fertilizers. So yeah, so that's I guess that was the background behind it. I, the reason I sort of was interested because I guess like anything, I saw uh, Pete Newman put the challenge out there for growers, you know, to about a strip and disc system and and how the yields that they were getting uh, on very very low or dry, extremely dry years, and the yields that were coming out of that. So that's very pertinent for where we farm here at Mullawar. So I thought it was yeah, it was worth a trip over. Yeah, awesome. And there is still so much interest in the uh, yeah the strip of front and disc systems. What did you learn on the trip? I mean, I, yeah, we were just talking about it the other day with our guys here, and certainly not every system is probably going to work exactly the same. So you sort of you have to look at the strip of front, how it's, you know, I, I guess the encouraging thing was it alleviated the risk of, you know, not having weed seeds. We're all trying to cut low uh, and make sure we get as much weed seeds as we can in the front of the header, which uh, the studies that they've done over there with the strip of fronts is... They have been getting extremely good ryegrass and brome grass seed collection from the super fund. So I suppose that was that was probably number one. Then the second one was just they had moisture probes and temperature probes in the ground this summer and just measuring the differences in evaporation, uh, soil temperature, and things like that. So, you know, in a, I suppose where we were was pretty typical of, of the, the wheat dot over here, sort of mid-30s all summer. And... Pretty well every day, it was three to four degrees cooler on these paddocks where the stripper fronts have been versus, say, conventional, you know, harvest six inches off the ground, cut it as short as you can, I suppose expose the soil to maximum heating and maximum evaporation. So that were the first two things. And then obviously that led, well, you know, how do, how do they handle those straws the following year? So that was, yeah, I guess that was the basis for it all. Yeah, for sure. And so would it be something that you would consider then adopting on your farm? Oh, look, I, I like the idea of probably a couple of, of those options. I mean, I like the idea of retain, retaining more stubble and more straw on the surface of the of the soil just to, to lessen evaporation more than anything or try and retain more summer rainfall if we get it so we can utilise it later on in the year. I think that's that's got to... You know, there's a lot of potential there. Whether it actually works, I don't think we can adopt their system as it is. But I think we can we can sort of adopt different principles of it, and we're we're certainly going to evaluate it. And then the other thing is the capacities they were getting out of their headers over there was was quite phenomenal compared to you know we're taking all the straw. Harvest is quite slow. Tons per hour are quite slow. Uh, you know, versus over there, virtually they were doing. You know, what we could do with two headers, they were doing with one. So uh, everything's pretty expensive these days. So that's, you know, that's got to fit as well, I think. Yeah, definitely. And was there anything else that came out of the trip that you think is uh, worth sharing with the listeners on this subject, Rodney? Uh, look, I think, you know, I keep questioning discs and I haven't had a lot to do with disc seeders. Certainly guys north of me and south of me have and have tried them and, and sort of got rid of them. But I guess... One of the things we learned over there that if you're going to go into the disc system, it, it sort of takes four or five years before everything sort of starts to 
work, I guess, and, you know, I suppose it also alleviated, I guess, one of the things I was worried about is incorporating preempts, you know, in, at sowing time, and talking to those guys over there, they, they're virtually not using any preempts anymore because there's so much straw on the ground, there's close up the row spacings, so they're dealing with, I guess, different weed burdens than us, just purely because there's no sunlight getting to the ground, and, you know, there's, yeah, so it was good. Good to learn from those guys, or just getting different disc feeding machines with different degrees angle on the leading t- on the leading disc. So when you want to throw or not, so each again, it's working for those guys out there. Whether it works on our sandy soils here, I don't know, but it's definitely worth worth sharing a bit more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, we'll have to keep in touch with you and see if you adopt anything that you learnt from that over east trip. We're going to shift gears now and talk about chaff dump management. Now, can you tell us a little bit about uh, how you manage your chaff dumps, um, Rod? So historically, we dump them in a line at harvest time and then we put a plough break around the the whole line across the paddock and then we virtually sort of wet wet the plough furrow, I suppose, if you like, just a foot wide, and then we, we sort of back burn into that furrow probably three times, so we might go a foot away from the plough break and then a metre away from the plough break and then five metres away from the plough break and just let it all back burn. So we almost have a, a plough break at the shaft up and then we end up with a back burn break and then we, we go to the opposite side behind the direction of the wind and then we light we light up the whole area that we've left between the two plough breaks. So that's how we've been doing it reasonably successful and even takes a lot longer the last couple of years with a lot heavier stubble burden. We found by wetting in front we are able to sort of stop that spread. But I guess this year we've we've really struggled this year. So normally would have been finished burning by now, just the chaff dumps, but this year we've probably only done a fifth of what we need to do so it's just we haven't had rain here for eight months double everything is so so flammable that yeah we're, we're probably uh really struggling to be able to manage the chaff dumps by burning them safely before seeding which is going to start you know potentially in the next two weeks yeah right and have you considered other management options in regards to chaff dumps yeah so we've just yesterday and playing with levelling them out and how far we need to level them. So just pushing them sideways so they're still contained in that row across the paddock between the two plough breaks and then driving the feeder through them just to see if we can actually just not level them dead flat but say level them a foot or two high and then can we still seed through them. So we, I guess we're making plans to be able to seed paddocks and seed through our chaff dumps without burning them. And then the plan will be to hopefully come back and burn those before the, the current crop germinates once we get some rain on them uh, in that 10-day window sort of before germination. Worst case scenario, I guess the chaff dust will act like a big chaff line across the paddock and we may leave them to run the season and then either spray them out if they're too weedy or mulch them or just burn, leave them until next year and burn them. So we're sort of, yeah, we're... We're in new territory again. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. But, yeah, we really appreciate you sharing your insights into both um, your trip over east about stripper fronts and how you're managing your chaff dumps. And good luck with it all, and hopefully seeding all goes to plan. No worries. Thanks very much for your time, Jess. Thanks so much.
Thank you very much to Malawa farmer Rod Messina for joining us on the podcast. They're talking about his recent trip over east where he was looking at strip and disc systems and how they could potentially fit into his farming system over in WA. But we also heard he's been having some difficulty in burning his chaff cart heaps. Pete, what are your thoughts on this situation that Rod's in? Yeah, I was really blown away by listening to that, Jess. Uh, it's just amazing that someone who's rods burnt more stuff than just about anybody who's <laughs> been burning windrows for years and chaff dumps for you know for, for quite a few years as well. And uh, to say that he's finding himself in new territory now after that history is is amazing. But yeah, when you think about it, with all these uh, bulky stubbles around and dry as a chip and everything so flammable, they've they got to take a real responsible uh, approach and and make sure that fires don't get away from them. And and uh, yeah, so I. Just am amazed that uh, those guys are, are finding themselves in new territory after all that time. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, we really appreciate Rod's candour there as well. It's so great to be able to hear from farmers and hear how their farming systems are going and how they've changed over time and what they're dealing with because everyone over time comes up with new issues that they're facing and so it's really good to be able to hear some of the novel ways that different farmers are approaching these situations that they're finding themselves in, isn't it, Pete? Yeah, and I think what really springs to mind for me, Jess, is where we've sort of been heading with harvest weed seed control is to just get away from these tools that involve burning. Yeah. And uh, and I think, you know, this is just another reason, isn't it, that uh, we know that we don't want to burn uh, the valuable resource if we if we can avoid it. Uh, we know that we've got things like uh, chaff lining, uh, chaff on tram lines, and, uh, and the mills to destroy weed seeds that don't involve burning. Uh, and so we are seeing a, a great shift towards that, but this is just another reminder of, of how important it is for us to, to keep innovating and keep shifting in that direction to, to hopefully potentially move right away from all of the, uh, the tools that involve burning. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much to both of our interviewees on the podcast today. We heard from South Australian farmer Andrew Ridgway and Mullawa farmer Rod Messina just before there, and we really appreciate them sharing their stories. It's always great to be able to hear from farmers and how they're going with their farming system, so thank you so much. But, Pete, the Easter holidays are coming up. We'll be uh, getting back on board with the podcast after that. Are you doing anything exciting? I'll be in Margaret River for a little while, Jess. I'll be working and holidaying a little bit down there i've got a, a few things to keep going but yeah very fortunate and i'm going to get going to see some rain i think i've just had a look at the weather and a bit of uh, rain and wind and an enormous swell coming to margaret river Excellent. so i'm going to the big surfboard i think this time oh, exciting that's awesome and yeah obviously seeding is around the corner for many growers as well so we wish all the best of luck to everyone who's about to embark on their seeding program for 2019 and yeah we'll catch you in a couple of weeks time after the easter break yeah let's hope we uh let's hope we see a bit of rain in sometime soon jess uh i'm sure there's a lot of east coast farmers that uh would really really appreciate a drop anytime soon yeah definitely we've got our fingers crossed for everyone for a successful start to the season all right thank you so much pete thanks jess